Go to the book of John, chapter 14. We're going to have to be fast with these of Book of John, chapter 14. This stuff Jesus said he's going to do now. This promise. He said he will. John, chapter 14. I'm going to start at verse 1. It said, let not your hearts be troubled. Ye believed in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whether I go, ye know, and the way you know. Thomas said unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh to the Father but by me. We'll pause right there. So Jesus, we're telling you what he's going to do. And this is what we have confidence in. And having confidence in these things give us access to the divine nature of God, which allow us to live and move and work as true people of God. All right. So what he said he's going to do in this? One, I like the, the whole scene. You read back in 13. Jesus, see, y'all think I'd be preaching long. 14, 15, 16. One long discourse that Jesus gave. Then he took them and they went in the garden. And whole 17 is him praying. That's why they went to sleep. <laughs> See, I don't think they would be lazy. He preached all night. Then they went to the garden, sung a hymn, and he prayed. He got a whole chapter. We don't even, we know this ain't everything that he prayed because the other gospel tells us a little more about his praying that don't show up in 17. So he was praying for a long time in the middle of the night. And Jesus got mad at them because they kept going to sleep. See, I'm going to get sidetracked again. <laughs> but in 14, now he's just been breaking down to them. They didn't even wash their feet. They didn't eat good. And he's telling them, hey, y'all, this is the end. I'm finna go. Peter saying his foolishness and all that stuff where he is and ain't going to do. Jesus breaking it down. Now, this is it. I'm, I'm finna go. Then they start to get a little sad if you read at the end of, of 13. They start to get a little sad, a little down. So once they get down, this is what Jesus opened up. He said, let not your heart be in trouble. You believe in God, believe also in me. So once they start to see the reality that Jesus was talking about leaving them, they got sad. Said, don't, don't, don't be troubled. Don't be worried. Don't let anxiety creep in. If you believe in God, believe also in me. So there's something that he's finna tell them. Or there's something in this mission that's going on that should bring peace and bring comfort to their soul. In this troublous time. Then he said, In my father's house is many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. So he began to talk about his father's house. And these many mansions are many rooms in the house. Now, some people go deep with this and they tell you that like, you're going to have like a Michael Jordan house in heaven somewhere, like a $10 million mansion. And you, and they're going to have basketball courts and bowling alleys and swimming pools. And I, don't do. I don't think that's what Jesus was talking about. Because actually the word mansions literally means it's places or rooms. So what it looked like, I really don't know. But he's telling them, Father House, he got many mansions. And he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. So I'm going to go get your room ready. 
And when I get it ready, I'm going to come again and receive you unto myself. So this is the hope that's supposed to bring ease and comfort to their soul. So Jesus is building the church. Then he lead his church down here to work and he said, I'm finna go. And in my going, I'm going to get some stuff ready for you. So this tells me two things in this promise. That right now, Jesus is working on my behalf. Jesus is working to get stuff ready for me. Which means he has some hope and some anticipation in me. And that means he has some concern and some involvement with my life. Because if there was no hope for me to make it, why would he be preparing a place for me? You get what I'm saying? I don't see Jesus as the redundant and, and, and frivolous type. So if he's working to prepare a place for Cabronica, that means he has some hope in Cabronica. That there's a reality beyond here that he's preparing for her on her behalf. So Jesus is working for you. So not only is he working in you, he's working for you. And getting things ready for you, which means he has a hope in you. Jesus has an investment in you. So his hope and his investment has something that goes beyond this life that he's getting ready for. And in this thing, he said, once I get it ready, I'm going to come back and I'm going to receive you to myself. Are you with me? So Jesus is working for Cabronica. Jesus is working in Cabronica. And one day Jesus is going to come back and get you. What should give you what? That though I feel alone, and though this world is dying and is decaying, there's coming a time where Jesus is going to come get me. Just, just think about this picture. All y'all been little kids before. And you got your mama, daddy, auntie, uncle, whoever. They told you, I'm going to come get you, and I'm going to take you wherever or whatever. When you know it's time, how you at? Can y'all remember back that far? You be excited, dog. At the door, at the wonder, every time a car walk by, you looking. Mama fussing at you, what's it out? But you full of energy. And for some reason, your energy level increases just because of the excitement of the anticipation. Man, you, you outside running, mama just, your baby got fresh and clean, told you to go sit down. And you run around outside. She fussing out. What's going out there? You gonna be stink? Hang sit down. <laughs> but you get an extra burst of energy and power just based off the anticipation, because this is something that you delight in. This is something that you desire. This is something that you hope for. And the knowing that is coming produces within you a fervency to be there and to be ready when they come. To the point when you only like waiting, you cannot sit down. You got to run. You got to bounce. You got to look because you're expecting something. Are you, are you tracking with me? And if you got one of my tees who real sadiddy and uppity and be like, you can't go nowhere with me looking like that. Anybody got an auntie like that? Yeah, my sister was like that. Now, where do you think you're going? <laughs> So we had to go put your Sunday best on and go to Walmart. <laughs> Why do you think you're going to be looking like that? But even though I was a referee and did not care, if it's something that I wanted to do, what you do? You running out, you go take a shower, 
You gonna take a bath? You go, mama, mama, you 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 iron it for me. You do everything you can to get ready because the anticipation, the hope, and the excitement is what drives you. Well, somebody greater than your auntie, 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 ain't it? Wherever you come from, however you say it, it's coming to get you. And they're taking you to a place far more exciting than the mall or the zoo or Chuck E. Cheese. Showbiz when, when y'all was young. <laughs> Are you understanding what I'm saying? So if that type of excitement will drive you to the point where you're restless, you cannot sit still, you're lonely, you're expecting, you're looking, everything that sounds like it might be them, you're looking for, how should you be now? We should be daily looking unto expecting the hope of the return of our God because he made us a promise. But he also liked that auntie, that fresh one, that sedated one, to tell you, you can't come with me looking like that. You understand what I'm saying? Go look at First John. Watch how John is playing. First John chapter 3. First John chapter 3, verse 2. This is the epistle of John, one John, as some folks say. Chapter 3, verse 2. Said, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, but we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Did you catch? Said, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. So right now at this moment, we are the sons of God, but it doth not yet appear. So it ain't been made manifest. It ain't clear what we shall be. But this is what we know. When he shall appear, we shall be like him, but we shall see him as he is. So there's coming a point where Jesus is going to come back, just like he told you. He come and receive you unto himself. When he show up, you're going to be just like him. Because you're going to see him as he is. Then John gets his conclusion. He said, but everybody who has this hope within themselves purify themselves even as he is pure. That's deep. So since I know God is working, he's preparing a place for me. He get my spot ready. I'm going to be on his team. I'm going to be the same place he is. It's my hope and my anticipation to be as much like him as I can now. That hope, that anticipation causes me to live in a way so that I can be fit for it. I'm getting ready for it. Are, are you with me? Just like the little kid waiting on auntie to come get him. They wake up 5 o'clock in the morning, putting their shoes on, putting their clothes on. Sitting there, they ready, they getting it. They disturbing mama, won't let her get no rest. Mama, you got to help me. Because they want to be ready when she comes. And they doing whatever it takes, whatever they can do to be in a position so that they can be fit when you come. And he's saying the person that has the hope that Jesus is coming back, that he going to receive you unto himself, purifies himself even as he is pure. That, that, that gets a little deep. Do you see to the degree that he purifies himself? Even as he, referring to who? Jesus. Now that makes you scratch your head a little bit. Because if you've been around for any time, especially in church, you can't be pure like Jesus is pure. Anybody ever told you that? That you just a human being. You just God. I mean, he God. You just a human being. You'll never be pure like he is pure. But John said the people who got this hope purify himself even as he is pure. So they purify themselves, and there's no separation in the mind of John between their purity and his purity. 
because one day we're going to be exactly like he is, so they're doing it now. Like, how, but how is that possible? How does hope of something to happen creates purity now? I told you something when we start. Through the knowledge of God, we get promises from God. And through these promises of God, we become what? Partakers of his divine nature. God made you a promise that he's gone. He's prepared a place for you. And when he becomes, he's going to receive you unto himself. So who's doing the preparing? Jesus. Who's doing the coming? Jesus. Who's doing the receiving? Jesus. So if Jesus is working this whole plan out, do you think he'll miss the most important part? So that hope of a coming, that hope of a drawing, that hope of a God that is right now working on your behalf should produce within you the hope of this promise. And the reality of the promise, it goes to the full. Is that in order for him to take me to where he is, I got to be like he is to be fit to be there. You get what I'm saying? So that's how these promises produce within me the divine nature. Because now I believe I'm going to be like Jesus because he prepared a place for me to be with Jesus. So I expect it, not because I'm disciplined, not because I'm great, not because I got some type of extra spiritual power that ain't nobody else got, because my God made me a promise. And since my God made me a promise, I should see the reality of that promise. So the hope of that promise builds within me a hope and an expectation. So he say, I'm coming to get you. But before I come get you, I'm going to get something ready for you, which means he got an anticipation on my behalf. So if he getting it ready, he doing the working, he ain't going to be like, well, I'm going to get it ready. But you might not be able to come. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? Because he knows there's a standard. God is too pure to look upon iniquity. God came down to step on dirt. And Moses had to transform himself because the place where God stood was no longer the regular ground that he was just walking on. Jesus being there created transformation in Moses for he had to take off his shoes just to look at a bush. You get what I'm saying? Joshua walking around before the battle and he walks upon the angel of the Lord who coming as the messenger of God. The messenger show up the same ground he was just walking on. He no longer fit to walk on it like he was walking on because there's something about the nature of God in that place that made him unworthy to be there. So if it works for a ground, how much more the very throne of heaven itself? We ain't fit. We are unworthy. There's nothing within us that qualifies us to go there. But Jesus said he doing what? He getting you a place ready. So if he give me a place ready, that means he expects me to be there. If he expects me to be there, some way, somehow, I'm going to be worthy to be there. Because Jesus said I can be there. Jesus said he got my spot. Jesus said he got a place reserved for me. Are you with me? So how is it that we pure ourselves to get to the place where we pure just like he pure? What I told you. We believe in the promises of God. And through the promises of God, we receive the nature of God. So the nature of God is pure, correct? So that means me believing the promises of God get me to the place where I can be what? Pure. So I can purify myself just by believing in who? Him. Who that deep. 
but it's simple. And it's all based on the nature of God that when he makes a promise, he's going to fulfill it. So Jesus is building a church. I get to be a part of that church. Jesus is preparing a place for me. I got a reservation in that place. Jesus is going to come get me. I'm going to be ready when he comes. How am I going to be ready? Because he's going to do it. Flip down a little bit. In that same John. We're going to pick one. We're going to get ready to land this thing. Go to 15. We're going to leave 14 alone. Now go to 15. John 15, 26. So John 15, verse 26, it said, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth will proceeded from the Father, he shall testify of me, and ye also shall bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. So Jesus said, when the, A Comforter is going to come. And who, how this Comforter going to get here? He's going to send him. So Jesus is building the church. That's what he's going to do. Jesus is giving you authority. That's what he's going to do. Jesus is getting a spot ready for you, and he's going to come back and get you. But until then, he's going to send a comfort. Who's going to send him? Jesus is going to send him. Go down to 16. John 16, verse 7. It said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is, ex it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. So Jesus is making a promise. So there's this comforter coming, this advocate, this paraclete. Who going to send him? Jesus. Now, I like how he worded in this one. He said, it is expedient for you that I go away. So basically what Jesus is saying, like I said, told this is his final sermon. If you got red little Bible, you ain't seen no black letters for like two chapters. Jesus would preach. But he said, it is expedient for you. So this is the best thing for y'all right now. See, this is how he said if you were from Alabama. That is the best thing for y'all right now, for me to go. Because if I go, if I do not go, the comforter won't come. But just think about that for a minute. You got some dudes who done left everything that they knew. Peter and them stopped fishing. John and his brother left dad in the business alone. Matthew done stopped collecting taxes. I mean, collecting taxes. They just done left their whole life. And they've been walking around with this dude up and down the desert for all these years. And now he tell you, Hey, man, y'all know what? The best thing for y'all right now is for me to leave. They ain't have to worry about money. But this dude said, hey, man, go get that fish, and there's going to be some money in there. They ain't have to worry about food. But this dude said, hey, man, bring me that little boy lunch, and everybody's finna eat. They ain't have to worry about storms and all that stuff. But this dude said, hey, we ain't stop blowing. Their whole life has revolved around this dude. Every question that they had, they can go to him and ask him. Every crazy situation that they was in was round with him to the point where they was even ready to die. Even down Thomas. When Lazarus died, he said, hey man, let us go to Jerusalem too so we can die. Their whole existence revolved around him. Now he's telling them, I'm finna leave y'all. Just think, put, the, put that in your skull. You've been walking with this dude for three and a half years. You had hope of a kingdom coming. You ain't seen no kingdom yet. You just saw glimpses of power. But now he said, hey, y'all, it's over with now. I'm finna go. But then he get a little more deeper. He said, this is the best thing for y'all. 
Now, how would you take that? Walking with Jesus. We never experienced Jesus right next to us. And we be saying stuff like, if Jesus were here, and y'all ever said that? I know, I know I ain't the only one. Like, if Jesus was in here, then this, we ain't never even experienced it. We talking about it. But Jesus said the best thing was for him not to be here. Not like he was with them. See, we want the dude walking around with the crusty feet to be walking right next to her. But he said, uh, but think about it. Because we talked about this a little bit. When Jesus was on earth, he lived wow. Like a man. He was a man. Human form. He took off deity and lived as a human being. So when he was with them in Caesarea Philippi, who was in Jerusalem? He wasn't there. When Lazarus was dying, they had to go get him. Because he wasn't there. When Peter Mama had the fever, they had the hope on the fact that God would lead him to show up at Peter's house. You get what I'm saying? Because he wasn't there. So what he's saying is the best thing for you now is for me to leave. It is expedient. It's best for you. But when I leave, I'm going to send another comforter. And check the way he worded. I'm going to send another one. Another advocate. Because we, we, we speak and Jesus is our advocate. But that's the exact same word that is here translated as comforter. He's like, I'm going to give you another one. In this one, if you read 15, 16 to 17, it's going to be in you. So he's not just going to be walking alongside of you. This comforter, this hope, this advocate, this one that's going to be there for you. He's going to be in you. And he's going to testify of me. So the same stuff I was doing next to you, he's going to be doing in you. That's why it's expedient for you that I go away. But but check the depths of it. Who said they're going to send it? Jesus. Now watch this. Because we can only believe a person based off who they are and what they say. So their character and their word. So has Jesus shown himself to be alive? Mm -hmm. Has he shown himself to be impotent? Not able to do what he said he can do? No. Nah. So if he said it, he can do it. And since he never lied, that means he will do it. So since he said he's going to send a comforter, an advocate, the one that dwells inside of you, what happened? He sent them. That seems very, very, very bland on it. But I told you, we become partakers of the divine nature through the promises of God, which means we have to believe these promises. And this is where reality meets the road. Because Jesus told you he's going to send a comfort. So right now, if you feel with the Holy Ghost of God, you have what? Comfort. At what point do you not have a comfort? only time you don't got a comforter is when you don't believe you got a comfort. Because the gifts of God is manifest, the divine nature is manifest to us taking hold of these great and precious promises. So what if you don't feel like you've got a comfort? Do you got one? Are you sure? Who told you he was going to give you one? Jesus. When he ever lied to you? So what if everything in your world 
Don't feel like nobody there with you. Don't mean that. You can know that you got it because Jesus told you that you got it. And all that this comforter is, you got access to it. And this comforter, according to Jesus, is another one. He's one that takes the place of Jesus. So all that Jesus was on the earth, this comforter was inside. His comforter will be within us. So we talked about Jesus, the ability to calm the storm. You think the comforter got the same power? Because he's another one. Are y'all sure you believe that? Now that gets all deep a little bit. Because storms get to rage in their life sometimes, though. They go crazy. I'm just saying, things get crazy. Your world ain't never been crazy. Yeah, sometimes it get crazy. And you know the most crazy thing about my world sometimes? Me. Still want to be honest. The most craziest thing about my world on this planet is me. That, that's, that's deep. I know y'all ain't experienced that, but I, I, I get like, I make life crazy for me. I'm the biggest storm I got going on right now. But I got a comforter that can do what? Calm the storm. Are you with me? I got an advocate who can do what? Intercede and plead on my behalf. That's another translation of that word comfort. So let's just say, you done messed up right now. Life ain't quite what it's supposed to be. And you really need to get to God. And you really need to hear from him. What you need to know is that you got a what? A comforter. And in 1526, he told you this comforter going to do what? Testify of Jesus. Because I told you when we started, grace and peace is multiplied through the knowledge of our God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Think about that now. We bring this thing all the way full circle. Grace and peace is multiplied through the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if I get the knowledge of God, I get the grace and the peace. Y'all, that makes sense. The comforter promised from God supposed to dwell inside of me, and he going to testify of who? Jesus. So I got somebody in me bearing witness of who Jesus is. And long as I got knowledge of God, I got grace of God and peace of God. So I always got access to what? Grace and peace. And I ain't got to look for nothing externally to me because the Holy Spirit, the comforter of God, is testifying in me. God promised me that. So how much grace do I got? However much I need. Like I thought you're supposed to know. I do know because the spirit inside of me testifies of the reality of who he is. Are you, are you, is it making sense to you? She's like, but I need a whole lot of grace. His grace works in accordance to the knowledge and his divine power through knowledge. Where the knowledge come from? The spirit is testifying in me. So if I need just a little more Jesus, I got it. Because <laughs> all I got to do is listen to the testimony of the Spirit within me. The Spirit is showing me that he's the bread of life. The Spirit is telling me that he's the door. The Spirit is telling me that he's the vine. The Spirit is telling me that he's the Messiah, the Son of God, the very God, the creator of heaven and earth living inside of me. The Spirit is telling me, go to John. Watch this, man. 
John says, we're saying that same chapter. John chapter 15. I'm going to leave y'all alone. Watch. What, what, what is this? This is one of the most important things. I'm going to tell it to you like a hundred times. Like every fifth sermon or something. 1625. Now, it goes. Start at 23. I want you to get the full picture. I'm going to leave you alone. John chapter 16, verse 23. It says, In that day you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Y'all got that, right? Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you shall receive, that your joy may be full. These things have I spoken unto you in Proverbs, but the time cometh when I shall no more speak unto you in Proverbs, but I shall show you plainly of the Father. In that day you shall ask in my name, and I will say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you. For the Father himself loveth you, because ye have loved me, and have believed that I am come, came out from God. I came forth from the Father, and I come into the world again. I leave the world and go to the Father. So this is Jesus talking. Like, up until this point, you ain't asked nothing in my name. But now, a transition is going to happen. And you shall ask the Father in my name, and whatever you ask in my name, what's going to happen? He's he going to give it to you. You sure that what he said? You sure that's what he said? So you ask the Father in his name, and what's going to happen? He's going to give it to you. And he said, this I'm going to do that your joy may be what? Full. This is Jesus talking to you. He telling you that you're going to ask the Father, he's going to give it. And he will pray to Father. And the Father delights in you just like he loved him. Just like he loved him. Now, this is a promise. Do you believe the promise, though? That's the question. Because like I said, it's easy for us. And in, 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 in our charismatic church, we have robbed, been robbed of the beauty of it. Because we always attach these promises to earthly treasures. So I'm going to ask Jesus and I'm going to get a beam of Benz or Bentley. I'm going to ask Jesus, and I'm going to move from the hood to the palace. Because whatever I ask the Father in Jesus' name going to be given unto me. And this always perplexes me. Because these same people who run, who shout, run into walls, hit backward flip, and will tell you about the great power of God to do whatever you ask him to do, will be the same people that going to tell you you always going to be a sinner. You just got to do your best. They will give an altar call. After everybody been running all around. Everybody been shouting. And the man been laying hands on people. And they tell you about the great power of God. The presence of God is here. The presence of God is here to take away cancer. The presence of God is here to, to make people rich. The presence of God is here to cancel debt. They tell you all that. Then they say, come, 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 if you never believe in Jesus. Then they going to tell you, now you're going to mess up. <laughs> what happened to that same presence of God? If it can cancel death, why well, it can't cancel dirty in me? You get what I'm saying? And this is what we have to believe in. This is the hope and the promise that we have to cling to. Let's stop letting each church folk rob us of the blessing and the riches and the promises of God. 
because we believe that stuff. We shout. We hit backwards flips. We cry. We pay men to let us sit in chairs and lay hands on us. We, we do this foolish stuff like this. And the amazing thing is, after year and year and year of breakthrough and blessing and turnaround and season, we still be broke. Then the calendar flip. This is the year of the breakthrough and the blessings and the fullness of the manifestation of the fruition of the promises of God. And you still be broke. Then the calendar flip. This is the year of the fullness of the manifestation because last season was a time of testing and last season was a time of trouble. But when you press the olive, that's when you get the oil and your oil going to pour forth to overflowing. That's what they tell you, right? I don't know. But the amazing thing is, it's the veracity of which we hold to those promises. Because we don't ever stop believing. We don't ever stop giving. We don't ever stop going. We don't ever start doubting. We hold to that stuff, even though we ain't seen nothing to tell us that this is reality other than the word of that preacher man. But when God speaks to you and he tell you that those who are born of God don't continue in sin. When he tell you that if you believe in me, I will make you a brand new creation. Everything going to pass away. Everything going to be new. When he tell you that. Well, see, my daddy was so drunk. <laughs> and it is just just being I got a battle. Y'all pray for me. No, 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 no. What that same crunkness at? You should shout and flip when you read Ezekiel and he tell you, I'm going to put my spirit on the inside of you and it shall cause you to keep my judgments and my statutes and you're going to do them. You should cut across the church to get to run. Because there's some stuff in your life that you know you want to get rid of, you know you want to stop, you know you're ashamed of, and you be shouting, you be dancing, but you got that in the back of your mind, so it hold back your praise, and you can't quite do it, and you pray, and you pray, and you go to the person, you want them to pray for you, but you don't want to be honest, completely tell them everything that's truly going on, so when they ask you what you need, just pray for me. And you got all that stuff, and they lay hands on you, and you feel good, and you go home, and you're stuck in the same sin that you were when you went to church. Then you do it again at the next conference. Then sometimes you get a real good conference and you go like three days and you'll be good. Then you get a phone call. Uh-oh. Well, this new day. Y'all don't get phone calls. You get a text message <laughs> and you stuck back in the same place that you were three days ago when that conference first started. And that testimony to you is that you don't believe. What don't you believe? That Jesus is who he said he was. That Jesus can do what he said he can do. That the same God that can turn water into wine can turn wicked into divine. Are you with me? That's what we need to believe. It makes sense to you. Because Jesus told you, you can ask the Father anything. So think about the greatest need in your life. The greatest one. You can ask God for it, and you're going to get it. But we got to understand what the greatest need is. It ain't for money. It ain't for friendship or companionship. It ain't for a better house, job, or car. It's for us to be what God created us to be so that we can go where God desires us to go, and that's with him. 
and there ain't no place distant because he says he's the only way, the truth, and the life to the who? The Father. Nobody comes to the Father but by him. And we start this thing off talking that our whole destiny is bound up in us knowing God, in us being with God. That's the reason we were created to yune and commune with him. That's your whole purpose for existing. But you can only get that through Jesus. And it ain't some distant promise. It ain't some theoretical thing. This is real life. That Jesus can accomplish in you. He gave you a promise. Because like I said, let's let's run this thing all the way back. Jesus is building what? A church. And that church is going to look just like what? Jesus. Think about it now. Jesus will build a church, that church that's going to look just like Jesus. Was Jesus sinful? <clears throat> was Jesus wicked? Was Jesus overcome by lust, fear, any of that type of stuff? No, he wasn't. So if I'm a part of this church and this is what Jesus built, and he building me to be what? Just like him. So I shouldn't be sinful. I shouldn't be wicked. I shouldn't be overcome by lust, by fear, or any of those things that I don't see displayed and manifested in Jesus. Why? Not because I'm great, but because Jesus is building. So if he's building a church and I'm a part of that building, I'm going to be just like what he desired that thing to be. Now you understand him. And Jesus is giving me some authority. Uh-oh. He giving me some, right? So that means I got some power because I'm a part of this church and this church going to look just like Jesus. So I got some power. So if I got the power to tell Aaron he can't be a fornicator and a Christian at the same time, why I can't say it to me? <laughs> Are you with me? If I got the power to tell Aaron, he need to control yourself, man. You're a man of God. Why I can't say it to me? If I got the power to speak life into him, life and death is in the power of the tongue. Why I can't do it to me? Are you with me? Then Jesus told us that he prepared a place for you. Who prepared a place? Jesus prepared a place. So he'll prepare a place for his church, and his church going to be where he at. His church going to have some authority, and his authority, we're going to look just like Jesus because we operate in this. So I got some hope and some anticipation and some zealousness to get out and do some things and be ready for Jesus when he comes. But all of this is based on the promise because Jesus said he's going to do it. And finally, I got the access to the power to pull all this thing because he said he's going to send me a what? A comforter. Who's going to do it? Jesus is going to do it. So I get to be in his church because I get the comforter. I get to operate in his authority because I get the comforter. I get to be fit to go to the place that Jesus is preparing for me because I got the comforter. And all of this stuff move and operate because Jesus is up in heaven, has given me the power, has given me the authority, and I can ask God and he's going to do it for me. And even beyond that, he prayed for me. Hebrews said he ever lives to make intercessions for you. So when you cry, he praying. Like I said, I'm going to say this to you over and over again because I don't think people quite get it because it was a revelation for me. You've done it before. Pick on you because everybody else ain't done. Like you've been in church and you're in the prayer line, right? And they got the, all the prayer warriors, leaders, bishops, or whatever going on, they praying for people. Now you've done it. Ain't nobody else did this. Just, just you. Me and you. Then you go up there for the line. I need my blessing. Then you peep. Why you peep? Because it's certain brother, certain sister, you won't pray for you because they got the power. And then that other person you don't quite know quite that well, 
You know what I'm saying? <laughs> the one that just drive the church van, and he's just up there. You know what I'm saying? You won't get another line. <laughs> you, you be all Christian, yeah, you go ahead. <laughs> you done that before. There ain't nobody else did that before. <laughs> because you want the, the anointed bishop, the anointed one, the, the super prayer warrior intercessor person to lay hands on you because they got the power. And what you're confessing is you believe that somebody has some power and their prayer has the ability to do something greater than somebody else. By your actions, that's what you're confessing. Now think about this. If you can believe that for the bishop, how much more for the bishop of your soul? Because he said he praying for you. He said he ever lives to make intercession for you. He said that he going to dwell inside of you and he going to bring his whole existence, Father, Son, and Spirit, and they going to live right there in you. And when you don't know how to pray, the Spirit is going to start praying. But all of this time, he going to be praying for you. So when you down, he praying. When life gets crop tough, he praying. So if you can believe that some little bald-headed dude, that some little funny-looking man who come from some other place and just cause somebody lay some oil on him, he got some power, how much more the bishop of your soul? So next time you realize, God, Lee, life rough. Oh, Jesus praying for me right now. I'm going to overcome. And so just like you run around when you see the, the blessings and the powers of the fruit, manifestation of the fruition and all that other stuff, you should be expected. And it, it should hit your mind. Holy Ghost, bring it to your memory. Jesus praying for me. Oh, I got the blessing of the Just lay down and fall to yourself. <laughs> so, cause this is reality. Just, lay, just raise your hand. Just receive. I receive it in the name of Jesus. Fall down to yourself. Cause Jesus praying for you. And he got the power. Cause you believe that man can do it. You believe that man can lay hands on you and you expect something to be changed. How much more him? Are you with me? And so we have to get to the place where we hold to the reality of who God is. And this is just a little bit of it. Jesus said he going to do some stuff. I skipped one. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus said, come learn of me. All you are weary and heavy laden, I will give you what? He will. That sounds like a promise. You weary, you heavy laden. And check how he said it. Learn of me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Same thing Peter was talking about. You get this knowledge of God, and this knowledge of God produced the reality, the grace and the peace. Jesus said, you learn of me. So once you learn of me, you get what I got. You, are you with me? Anybody got any questions? So um, I had wrote down earlier when you were talking about getting knowledge, and I just wrote down, well, we suffer with different issues and character flaws comes from a lack of knowledge. Yeah, but the the lack of knowledge, I want you to understand, it's not just purely information because information don't change nobody. That's part of the jacked upness that the church let it get into the world. Knowledge ain't the power. Jesus is. So this lack of knowledge is a lack of truly knowing, understanding who God is. So every character flaw in myself is useless and is of no effect. And actually, if we truly understand who God is, it qualifies me to be greater. The worse I am, the greater I am, because Jesus likes to show out. The Bible says he takes the dumb things of this world, the profound, the wise. So the more problems I got, the better you are. That's why Paul 
in 2 Corinthians 13 say, I rejoice in my weaknesses. Because why I'm weak, he is strong. The grace of God is perfected in my weaknesses. So the weaker I am, the more grace I get. So we have to accurately understand the nature of God in connection to our character flaws. You, you, you get what I'm saying? So it's not just me to get some information. See, you got character flaws. If weak people, then you got to learn about Maslow's and, and PJ and all these psychologists and understand this stuff about your personality and that stuff. It don't mean nothing. It don't change nothing. Now you just know that you're angry. <laughs> and that's all you know. <laughs> but if you understand who God is and how he connects and how he relates to who we are and how our nature is tied up in his, then you get access to it. So the more of yourself you see revealed, no matter how good or how great, the more of God you see manifested. So once you learn that I'm angry, that means I got more grace for patience and long suffering because I need a little bit more. But you have to believe that. It, it makes sense to you. Go ahead, Bates. Uh, what does it mean to grow in grace? What does it mean to grow in grace? Mm -hmm. To grow in grace means to basically your ability to yield and and allow the grace of God to work in you increases. So there's levels of our trust and our rest with God. And so as you grow in grace, you're growing in what Hebrews talking about, ceasing from your own works. So as you growing in the place where you're resting in and having trust in the faith and in the operation of God on your behalf. So the more you grow in grace, the more you grow out of yourself and trusting in yourself and worrying. And you, you gain more confidence in the fact that God is working through you. That makes sense to you? I think you explained it, but um, I don't understand. How is grace and peace to be multiplied in our lives? What, what Peter was saying is that the grace and peace is multiplied through the knowledge of God. So the more I know God, the more I trust him. So the more his peace and his grace operates through me. Because once I understand who God is and I get a true picture of who he is, the more I trust him. Like I said, we can understand it better with like human relationships, a good way to understand it. Like there's some people that you don't question in your life. And it's because they have shown themselves consistently and consistently to be reliable for certain things. And so the more you know them, the more you understand them, the more peace you get in the sense of you don't worry about it. Because they told you and they shown themselves to be reliable. And the more grace and operate, the more you rely upon them to be and do what they said they're going to do. You get what I'm saying? It's like your relationship with daddy. That's the easiest way to understand. The more you know him, the more you begin to understand his character, the easier it is for you to just sit back and let him do what he say. You get what I'm saying? Because there's one point in time where he said, I'm going to do such and such. You get, you be a little anxious about it. I always seen it with kids, like, Mama, you going to take me? Yeah, I'm going to take you. Five minutes later, Mama, you going to take me? <laughs> but then it gets to a point where you go through that and they deal with you and they teach you where that decreases. Well, you can say, Mama, you going to take me? They say, yeah. And you say, go sit down and wait. And the anxiety diminishes. The worry diminishes. And you don't put no, take no thought to it. So as knowledge increases, your trust and confidence in the person increases. And it works the same way with God. As we more know him more, the more we rely upon him, the more we rest in him. It's like driving in the car with somebody for the first time. You be a little worried. 
you grip and you hold on to the little side thing. You, you try and secretly grab the door. You be mashing brakes. <laughs> you checking the rearview mirror when they're trying to get over. Because <laughs> you don't quite trust them yet. You don't know if they can drive. But the more, and the more you do, the more you ride with them, that's how you know you're not asleep. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? It's because the more you know them, the more that knowledge comes, the more comfort. It just adds. You don't even got to think about it. You just do it. And it's the same way with God. It, it makes sense to you. Who makes bad things happen to you? Who makes bad things happen to you? Most of the time, you make bad things happen to you. The other time, wicked people make bad things happen to you. What did Jesus mean by saying the first shall be last? The first shall be last. Mm -hmm. So basically what he's saying is, is the people, the initial ones that he came to, that revelation came to, they're not going to be the first ones to get it. So the first one's going to get it last. And the picture he was talking about at that time was, the Jewish people versus the non-Jewish people. So God revealed himself to the Jews and he opened up the kingdom to them, but they rejected it. And so he sent his servants out to everybody else. So we get in the kingdom, but one day there's coming a time where he's going to pour our grace and supplication upon the nation of Israel and they're going to be added to the number. So they was first, but they're going to get it last. They're going to get the revelation and understanding as a nation of who Messiah is later. Last month, I asked about the scripture that talks about well, the specific part was the how experience brings hope. And at that time, I I couldn't understand that because I was like, my experiences caused me not to hope. And um, so it was explained that it's the the good experiences that we have that builds that expectation in you. And since that time, I've actually seen that happen, like in praying. Um for other people and then it happening and then I find myself hoping more the next time like oh this is going to happen because that's what happened last time so I, I, I understand that scripture now but what about when you come to a place of doubt or hopelessness about an issue how do you turn that ship around so that you have faith so that you can hope the easiest way to do it as in tracking through the scripture is you embrace those things and bring them to God. You get what I'm saying? So our, our mode of operation is not to wrestle with doubt. So I don't, if some doubt come in my head, I don't sit there and wrestle, well, are you down because of this? No, I don't doubt it. The easiest thing to do is just to take it to, to, to God. It's like, I think that was Obadiah. When he had questions about what was going on in Israel, he just went to God and started asking his question. How can you be a God? You being a pure God, you can't look upon evil. How are you going to judge us with this wicked nation? What are you going to do about the calamity? And he just straight up just went to God about it. And God began to deal with him on that level. So the more you just take it and just bring it to God, the easier it is to deal with. Now, as you grow in it, they may get a time where you can just cast it down and just get it to the side and move on. But when it's something that really hits you, when it's some desperation that really, you take it to him. I'm saying, don't be anxious for anything, but by prayer and supplication, make your request be known unto God. And the peace of God that passes understanding shall guard your heart and mind. So you take that. If that's something that produces anxiety, angst, or worry in you, you take it to him. 
And don't be ashamed to be straight up with God. Dear God, this is how I feel. You told me you're going to do this, but it don't seem like you're doing that. What's going on? I need some help. I need some understanding. And he ain't going to be like, gee, you don't believe in me. Because you believe in me, you wouldn't be asking. No, you believe in him. That's why you're asking him the question. Because you expected him to do something that you didn't see done. So now you want some understanding. You get what I'm saying? It's like when a coworker tell you they're going to do something, and you realize it, it wasn't going to be done. Now you're at the point where you just blow it off. Because they lie to you all the time. <laughs> you don't expect them to do it. But if Jay was to tell you, I'm going to do such, 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 and, you, and it don't get done, what you going to do? You, <laughs> he going to have some explaining to do because you trust him. And it had to be some type of reason why this ain't the way it is. You, you got to explain yourself. The folks you don't have coping, folks you don't have comfort, they ain't got to explain nothing. You don't expect them because you go into it with it. I don't believe them anyway. So you more shocked if they do it than if they don't. And it works the same way with God. So since we have hope in him, since we have faith in him, we we take that and make that drive us to him. So we're doing things that really worry our soul and things that we do not understand in life. Go with him. Deal with him. Call him to account for it. He said, come, let us reason together and pour out your soul to him. No, hold nothing back. Hold it out. He God. He, he big. He can handle it. You ain't going to hurt his feeling. But, but long as you're doing it out of faith and confidence. That you told me this and I believed you. Now what's what's going on? But the the opposite thing to do was to sit there and try to wrestle with them things ourselves and let them drive a wedge between us and God because it's something we just got stuck in our mind or we try to push to the side and act like it didn't happen. No, be real with God and just go with him or open it up. And that experience, just like Job. Job had a greater revelation of God after he went through what he went through than when he did. But how did he get that? He kept praying. His folks came to him. Joe, you did this. Joe, you did that. Joe never responded to them. He always responded with a prayer. They was talking to him, but Joe was talking to God the whole time. And then God finally showed up and talked to Job himself. But Joe was willing to talk to God. Ask God, hey, why, why did it happen? Why did it? I wish I could come up there and talk to you. We need somebody. And that's, that's all Joe was doing. He wasn't sitting there wrestling with them fools trying to convince them that they were wrong, he was wrestling with God and trying to get understanding of what was going on. And when God gave him understanding, then Job exclaimed, I heard of you through the hearing of the ear, but now I have seen you for myself. But it took him going to God to get that. But that makes sense to you. Any other questions? All right, all yours.